Hey folks, my name is Chelsea Johnson and my pronouns are she, her, and welcome to How to Survive the Apocalypse, A Queer Person's Guide to Life in America in 2023. Queer folks are getting whiplash a lot this last decade, with so many ups and downs in our culture regarding support, safety, and equality. Right now, things seem scarier than any time in this last decade, and many feel very lost and confused. What is a queer person in America to do? How do we make it? I am a licensed marriage and family therapist who has been practicing since 2011 and who has focused my entire career on serving the LGBTQIA community. I'm an out lesbian, a cisgender feminist, a grassroots advocate, and a therapist in a southern state deeply entrenched in homophobic and transphobic ideology. We are here to explore together how do we survive in America in 2023? Today's episode is about radical queer self-care. This isn't your traditional run-of-the-mill self-care you see social media posts about or read about on a blog or a BuzzFeed article. We are focusing in on the queer community today and specifically how queer folks uniquely take care of themselves during this time. And before you tell me, oh, I drink 10 iced coffees a day and that's my self-care, that is not what we're talking about. Although iced coffee can be great. We are talking about micro self-care. We are talking about you know daily things, small things we can be doing, as well as bigger things that are super unique to this community and the challenges it faces. I will also be talking later with Julian Bolin, one of my clinicians, um, about their thoughts on this topic and things that they might do or suggest to their patients. Before we just jump into my chat, Julian, I wanted to talk on a general level about how traditional self-care has always been defined by privilege, like doing yoga, having time and space to go on walks and exercise and move your body, you know. People in the community and many people outside of the community don't always have the ability and access to do these traditional ideas, you know, about taking care of yourself and making space for yourself. In 2023, we're in a time more than ever where there is as little space as possible for us and the demand is really high, especially if you fall into the millennial um, or Gen Z population. And so we're going to be innovative. We're going to be creative. We're going to be um, throwing traditional self-care in the trash can and rewriting a bit what it looks like. I can't wait to talk more with you and Julian about this in a minute. Hi, Julian. Hi, Chelsea. I'm so excited to talk with you today. Um, can you start out by just introducing yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my name is Julian. I use he, they pronouns. I have the great joy of being a clinician at your practice <laughs> and um, yeah, have been living in North Carolina since 2013 and was a Bay Area, California kid before that. So very interested and excited to discuss the topic of queer self-care, especially in the South. Heck Yeah. You know, like I said in the intro, this is a topic that I think there's rampant information available online about self-care, but I don't know how specific it is to this community. And mm -hmm. 
like I mentioned, you know, it's entrenched in privilege and there's a lot of, you know, big asks of people that don't feel Absolutely. realistic. So I am super stoked to get into what I'm calling like radical queer self-care, right? Absolutely. Um, all the dimensions of this. So when we were pre-chatting and just, you know, we're very similar, I know, and how we might look at these things. One thing we started off agreeing on was just about being in community. Mm-hmm. Defined yeah. by like, are you around people who you identify with? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Kind of as as we were bouncing around before, I think when I think of queer self-care, I think about being reminded that we are not alone in what we are experiencing, that there are other people out there who share identities and experiences and thoughts and hopes and connecting with that, with their words and their stories and their art, I think can be very grounding and rejuvenating in times where things feel just really disheartening. Yeah, absolutely. And I, one of the things I think we were really synced on because we're talking about, you know, micro self-care, mm-hmm. small acts, it doesn't need to be physically finding yourself always in a space with other queer people, which might be inaccessible for people right. who live in more rural or remote areas or don't have a car or absolutely. don't have a mm-hmm. lot of, you know, free money to spend at bars and places. And so we were talking about the internet. And we were talking about maybe like how being in community, even for five minutes, like on Reddit or Mm -hmm. something can help you feel more grounded and connected and understood. Right. And I know that's my spot. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, and I think even reading a comment where you just have that release of, oh yeah, right. Can be really powerful. And thinking about queer artists, writers, A lot of them on social media platforms, on things like Instagram, will post sections of poetry, will post videos. And these kind of free little nuggets of connection, I think, can be really just effective at creating a sense of community, of not being so isolated. Totally. For me, I know what with the battles we're fighting and me preparing to, you know, sometimes go speak at the General Assembly or try to petition to people why we matter. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the creators I'm thinking of, Alok Venom, is like one <laughs> of my personal favorite writers, storytellers, activists, free, of course, on the internet content. But, you know, yes, just like you're saying, hearing this person talk about the things I face every day in such mm-hmm. a beautiful you know, way is life-giving. Absolutely. And it's like, you know, five-minute video, two-minute video, but it's like, man, sinking into that really helps me center, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I going to say? How do I yeah. say this, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And can have the wonderful benefit, I think, of opening our eyes to aspects of community that are maybe less explicitly connected to our experience. Um, I'm thinking, for example, a, a client of mine actually really resonated with uh, the author Kai Cheng Tom, uh, who okay. is a like wonderful trans femme poet activist who has a background in mental health and social work as well. And I took a deep dive into her work after hearing the impact that it had for this individual. And she posts bits of her poems, her thoughts, on Instagram too. And for me, it was a really great lens to kind of see 
past, I mean, my, my own experience as a trans mask person into an element of trans femmes experience in the world. And yeah, yeah, I think it just can be really fruitful, really powerful and just really awesome. Really beautiful. So the other thing that I think pings off of this is about being in spaces where hetero and cis norms aren't dominant, right? They aren't yes. the dominant discourse, you know, and, you know, sometimes that does involve being in spaces, but I think even virtual based spaces, like we're talking about, those norms aren't dominant in some of these spaces. Mm -hmm. The comment section, I can't vouch for, but if you're going to, <laughs> you know, spaces where, um, people are discussing their lived experience, like Reddit is a great example, or some, there are some Facebook groups out there and things like that, where people, you know, talk about their transition or gender identity or moving to an area as a queer person. These right. even visiting spaces like this on a regular basis is a form of self-care too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I agree. I think it can be very replenishing to step into a space and see people like you see little behavioral code switching dynamics that are just the norm around you when that would be so hard to access in other areas of society um yeah. and what comes to mind around that for me too is um as we were bouncing around before the creative spaces as a way to facilitate hetero and cis norms not being the kind of dominant expectation my yeah probably favorite hobby of all time is like <laughs> tabletop RPGs. Uh, I homebrew a lot of worlds and systems for friends and like everybody's gay. Every, like, it's just <laughs> a way to, I think, make easy and just abundant the diverse queer experiences and to bring other folks and friends into that space as well. Well, and I also think about how that kind of serves a double purpose for like community and representation, mm -hmm. right? And we're we're in a sandbox where like the world was never what it was now. It's only what we say it is, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that. I love that so much. I love that you uh -huh. bring that to the table too, literally. <laughs> literally. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. It's great fun generally. I think there's abundant a appeal and import with regard to encouraging adult folks to play more but it has been particularly resonant for me and I think um what, like when I think about my to borrow the language of the youth my egg moment as a trans person <laughs> I think it, it was through RPGs it was through resonating with a male character and starting to be like hey it's really interesting that this feels so much more like home yeah that's interesting self we're only going to play this through in every other game you play for the next five years before you start reflecting on it. But if I had to look back, <laughs> it, I mean, it was through these games. It was through the yeah. opportunity to really just shed everything and be whatever I wanted to be. Yeah. And how safe, right? Because mm -hmm. it was on your terms because you were playing a character. You didn't have to disclose anything right. at the time. Yeah. You could just feel good. And I love that low pressure too, right? You can just experience and exist and ideally the world would be that way but it is not um for all of us right now this makes mm -hmm. me think about one other thing I'm, I'm hopping around in my mind a little but responsible media consumption mm -hmm. so this is this is good for all folks but 
especially people in the community, we're at a time where, you know, every new, other news article and all the stuff coming out feels like a threat to our existence. Right. Um, and, and that's a lot to process on a daily basis. So when I think of like responsible media consumption, it's like, okay, how can I stay responsibly informed without overloading my brain and nervous system with like the 24 hour news cycle, fear-based, you know, constant, you know, sort of like rubbernecking. I almost feel like Mm -hmm. it is. And so I always encourage folks, especially patients, if you're feeling overloaded, it is okay to like once a day or every other day, get like a 15 minute high level summary of like what's going on in the world without engaging with, you know, the 24 hour news cycle, right? Or, you know, the other flip side of that is, you know, what accounts are you following? And Mm -hmm. are they people that you feel represent you and like have your values and even maybe physically look like you? And you could see like relatability there versus I'm looking at these folks who I I don't look like, I don't have similar things in common with, and I'm just comparing myself. So I'd love to hear some more from you on like what your feelings are around that too. Absolutely. I think you described that really beautifully. And it's such, it feels like getting caught into in gravitational pull sometimes when you're just scrolling through all of the things and it's horror after horror. And it can feel really oppressive. It can feel really suffocating. Like how can anything that I do in my day-to-day impact what feels like such just incredible seismic titanic scale of yeah adversity and hate that's out in the world um certainly i think i think uh your what you were describing that sort of 15 minute consolidated hey sure we have a responsibility to be aware to understand what's going on in our world but also it is critical to not be suffocated by it or drowned by it how can we access it without letting it just dominate our minds um I think finding spaces or like um vehicles that can synthesize news bites and limiting access a little bit around that can be really helpful um I also think going back going back to what we were describing about queer voices, um, making sure that the people speaking on this are informed and aware as to our perspectives. Yeah. I'm also thinking about, I just had an intrusive thought. I was thinking about (laughs) um, like the, the influencer culture and like, you know, people who do make a living off of, you know, sort of modeling yeah. idealism to other people um, and, and how like that can be really useful for inspiration sometimes, but it can also be really harmful. So if mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like even queer influencers and like sure. we're in a relationship and we're having adventures and here we're going and we're like taking these beautiful photos everywhere we go. And, mm-hmm. you know, I love that kind of representation on one level because it's like sort of like, hey, look, we're, we're here, we're queer, we're thriving. Mm-hmm. But if let's say you're alone, you're unpartnered and you would like to be, and you're just kind of seeing content like that all the time, it can be very isolating. Um, And so I always encourage people to be like mindful around who they're following and why. And if we can love that for people or think that, you know, okay, I'm seeing the highlight reel, maybe there's more going on, but 
I think it's about also like making sure we're consuming content that like resonates with us and feels relatable, right? Yeah. Um, so it's like cleaning up our social media, even though it's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm going to rubberneck and wonder what they're up to. We don't know people's whole stories anymore just yeah. based on their content. And it's in some way reductive of like whole people, right? Um, but But I know getting out of that culture is so hard and hard to do. For sure. And I think Again, I think you articulated that just really well that (laughs) it's making sure that the people you are following look like you and include representation that is not just, hey, queer people are young and partnered and white and thin and have abundant free time and access to natural spaces, reminding ourselves that, hey, we exist at all ages and all bodies um with all manner of like family and partnership dynamics yes yeah I think that the visual reminder that queerness is not just yeah I I, I know a lot of our our younger folks like Gen Z also use like TikTok and even though there's great parts of that I also feel like the algorithm you don't know what you're gonna see Mm -hmm. um and so I've encouraged people if you like if you can't quit the platform, <laughs> um, it, that at least, you know, choosing who you're following and maybe sticking to that side for a while of like this curated, yeah. I've chosen to follow these people in their content for reasons. I'm not going to get on the main for you page and just see what happens, right? Free wheel. I'm right. going to stick to content that I'm choosing to see. Um, and I think micro self it's a small shift for a period of time, but if you're having an absolutely horrible week and mm-hmm. seeing these things is increasing feelings of depression and isolation, like let's pivot. Right. Yeah. And then on top of that, I forgot to mention this, but one of my favorite news, concise, brief news mediums is up first by NPR. It's a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it gives a good level of information that is global sometimes even, but it's 15 minutes a day. And so you can listen to it on your commute or, you know, in the shower or like wherever, and then just like unplug for the rest of the day if you have to, while still like feeling in your heart, I'm informed, right? I'm not being irresponsible, right? And I I, I love that for anyone, not just queer people, but especially when we're dealing with a lot of scary stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And uh, a thought that just kind of came to my mind around the curated social media around the curated videos, TikToks, et cetera, is um, especially for folks in the generations above us um, who are coming out later in life, who are transitioning later in life. I think curated content can be so powerful because it underscores this idea that it's not too late, that it's never yeah, too late. Never too late. Exactly. Yeah, I'm thinking of a close friend and that messaging and just how helpful that was for them to realize it was never too late. Um, So great point, Julian, great point. I love remembering that and sticking to content that reinforces that. Um, Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things. I have two more thoughts, but I want we can sort of poke around. So one of the things I recommend to my patients when they are dealing with a lot of dysphoria negativity towards self, low self-worth is focusing on maybe like if it has to be physical, like one physical trait that we do feel positive toward, even if it's small things like the arch of my eyebrow, my collarbone, um, you know, the definition in a certain part of my body or the softness maybe in a certain part of my body. 
And I always encourage people like, let's write a paragraph about that. Like write a letter to it, write some poetry for it. I love it. And let's like really drop into like this thing that's real about you that we're trying to kind of crystallize like this has value and importance, even though I'm hyper fixating sometimes on the negatives or perceived negatives about my physical self. Like we're going to really try to boost up and puff up like the amount of space thoughts, you know, take up about this other thing. Right. And so just like micro self-care wise, even if it's on your phone or on paper Mm -hmm. and pen, if you're more analog, you know, let's, let's write about it and let's really try to take a brain space about this thing we love. I love that. I think that's (laughs) excellent. And I think, you know, particularly even from the lens of like the trans community, because that process, or at least, you know, in my experience, it, it takes its time and you're thinking, you know, Mm -hmm. man, if I could just snap my fingers and then (laughs) boom, presto, exactly the changes that I wanted in instant kind of time access. Yes. I think kind of turning up the focus on the microscope and be like, Hey, I've noticed this thing and I like this thing. I feel good in this thing and writing on it, connecting it to sort of a creative expression, I think is awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think the more we can give equal weight to things that challenge us and things that uplift us, whether it's physical, emotional, world-based, you know, it helps us zoom out and like see what's possible more versus, you know, the defeat and crushing feeling that comes with there's so much to to change and overcome, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, awesome. So one of my last thoughts here um is really about having control over a small process. And this is something I find personally to be helpful because you've met me and you know, (laughs) I'm a do all the things kind of person, but what I have to find myself centering on when there's too much going on or there's too much that that can't change or be done so quickly is um, small process. Like an example might be, you know, growing a plant, right? Mm -hmm. Or I love to make bread. So it might be a whole day long intermittent bread making process from morning and it's done by the evening, right? But this gives me micro self-care wise, some centering on like, I did that, right? Yeah. I did the thing beginning to end. I saw it there. I'm capable of that. I, I have that ability. And if we don't at first, it's like, how do I learn it? How do I experience something new? And so it could be anything from art, you know? could be what we're talking about with like food or a plant. I mean, gosh, my, one of my kids brought home apple seeds from an apple she ate at school the other day. Um, She was like, we're going to grow an apple tree. And at first I was thinking, oh my God, like there's no freaking way an apple tree from this. This is just a regular old apple seed. I have no idea. (laughs) We sat down, we looked up, how do you grow an apple tree from a literal seed from an apple? And this is going to be like a very months, years long kind of endeavor, but we are going to try. And the seeds are in my fridge in a baggie and a paper towel right now. Um, But you know, just things like that of like, why don't I try? Right. Yes. Which how beautiful. And what (laughs) I was just going to say, that's so, so beautiful. Just having this kind of spontaneous and connective opportunity to just see what happens to try um, on the micro scale. I'm delighted that you mentioned bread. I know we have bonded (laughs) over that a little bit as um, I think you were a pre-pandemic bread baker, but I was definitely a pandemic bread. No, baker. no, no. I'm with you. And it was the <laughs> pandemic for sure. We all went there. We all made a sourdough starter. 
Oh yeah. Right. But having <laughs> like creating that little starter and having agency over its growth, lack of growth. I need learning about it, learning about yeah. its environment. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, or like feeding it every day. It's sort of the, the, the grown up millennial version of a Tamagotchi, except it's yes. slightly less. <laughs> I mean, like I'm checking out its microbiome, you know, right. all those things, but it's immersive and you just get to come up for air from like the loudness in your mind about everything else mm-hmm. and see what you're mm-hmm. capable of. Yeah. And taking yeah. risks can be really scary, right? But these are small things. These are little processes that, okay, my starter didn't rise. Boo, I'll start again, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Maybe it needs more food, more water. Um, Different spot. Right, exactly. More sunlight, mm-hmm. too hot, too cold. All of these things that we can, you know, relate to on some level too. But um, yeah, low yeah. risk, high yeah. reward, right? Right. Yeah. I, and so I'm thinking about any small process, you know, that we can have control over as a form of self-care. Just, I can do this. I'm, And it's, it takes out, in some ways, in my opinion, our gender identity, our sexuality, you know, mm-hmm. and just like we are a human and we are doing a thing. And yeah. I really love that. I love that for people so much to sort of immerse themselves in that kind of thinking. Um, Julian, you're amazing. Anything else come to mind that you might mention with your own patients or just for yourself, self-care? Oh, wise? man. Uh, one, you are amazing. Thank you for um, having me here and having this conversation. Oh gosh, I think I think we summed up a lot of what had been on my mind coming to the table around this topic. I think any we we sort of touched on this too, but I think creativity as a way to connect with joy is a very uh, going back to this idea of like self-care and queer self-care in particular um even if it is like painting a flag painting your pride flag um with or drawing it i think how we find little spaces for that joy for that celebration whether it's in rooms in offices on on a pinterest board that is something that i've had clients do is yeah. make the, the gender euphoria pinterest board you know what styles do you like what anything that makes you feel good looking at it put it on there yes um, make it a fixture in your life exactly exactly yeah you know i just the one last thought i i think i want to leave everyone with is about power through education so yes learning not only about the community and like people whose stories you feel related to, but also learning about people who are different. Um, And this can be done in online spaces. It can be done in person. The more we understand the community at large, the more I think we all can, you know, rally together in a lot of ways to support one another and to see change. Um, I also had this one thought, and this is a book I've been recommending to my patients, sort of adjacent to this topic, but I still want to leave everyone with it. Um, Millennials specifically, and I think people older, although this isn't exclusive to us, it's just more common. We were not given comprehensive sex education, a lot of us. right. And learning about our bodies, regardless of our gender identity, is like kind of fundamental to feeling empowered. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's this book, it's by um, this woman named Emily Nagasaki. She's incredible. It is called Come As You Are. It's a double Mm -hmm. entendre. So humans Uh humans with vaginas. This book is the comprehensive sex education you never got. There is like the latest research in science, stuff that's not even being talked about by sex therapists yet. 
in this book. And I was just thinking about power through education and how like even small acts of self-care of like, I want to know about my body and everything about it because I deserve to fully enjoy my body, whether I'm cis, trans, you know, anything really. Um, I, I think that any kind of educational space like this is really useful. Learning about people from the community, learning about your body. Um, you know, if you can afford it, going to therapy to learn about your mind, all these things, any little snippet of education is really empowering and is helpful for self-care because the more we understand, the less we judge. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up and what a powerful tool for self-understanding and connection and community understanding. Yeah. I mean, isn't judgment like a siphon on our energy? Yes. Yes. I was, um, that was, I was, we are talking, so nobody will see me just kind of flail back in my chair when you said that, but yeah, the less we judge. Absolutely. Yeah, no. And I think that's maybe like what I'll center on as we end here, which is, um, you know, getting out of judgment and empowering with education. Um, it just frees us bandwidth wise in a way that living with judgment and, you know, anger just does the opposite. So mm -hmm. Julianne, thank you so much for making the time to talk with me today. I'm, I'm sure there'll be more thoughts and feelings we'll compare on at future times, <laughs> but um, I hope hearing your story is so impactful for everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chelsea. You rock. Thank you again. Awesome.